Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Tuesday. Today I am sharing five specific tips for practical ways that you can increase your self-compassion. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. So my rose today is that the view from my desk right now is this planter full of red tulips and a beautiful gray cat that's like walking along the fence in front of my office. And it looks unreal, like something out of a storybook. My thorn is that I'm having a little bit of a hard time with Instagram activism, both in, you know, it's important to not stay silent on issues that matter to you. And for me, that means always posting so that others know where I stand and that they're safe, but it's, and I've come to accept this. It means always disappointing somebody. That's just kind of how it goes. That's the nature of it. Um, and you know, I just want everyone to be happy all the time. (laughs) So it's hard, but it's also worth it. You know what I mean? It's not a hard, that's not worth it. It's just, I think people often assume that if you have a large platform that like you're different than them in some way, or like you, you can tolerate a certain amount of harm that they wouldn't be able to tolerate themselves, you know? And and the reality is, you know, I'm just like one person back here doing my own to manage my own mental health and doing the best that I can in a really tough time of, of my life, both personally and societally, you know, and to add other people's rage to that is, is a lot, but it's also worth it. Like, again, it's, it's a hundred percent worth it. Wouldn't not speak up. Um, but you know, it's taxing for sure. My bud is that, a really exciting company decided to um, sponsor a podcast ad and they sent me um, their products. So it's Helix mattresses and they sent a mattress to my house and I just got it. Um, So that means that I get to open it tonight when I get off of work and have my first sleep on it probably tomorrow. And I'm really excited to have a new mattress. It's I'm pumped. Okay. Now, today's short, sweet, and practical episode on increasing your self-compassion. If you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and listen to yesterday's episode where I try my hardest to convince you to give this a go. I don't think that any of us are unaware or devalue the importance of self-compassion, but so often we treat it as like another should in our life. Like, oh, I should like myself more. And so then it almost becomes this other way that we're failing. But instead, what I hope that episode does is it just challenges you. It makes you feel like, 
oh, this is something that not only I should do, quote unquote, but also something that I want to do, something that will benefit me. And I feel like I have like the push and the motivation to give it a go. That's what I hope for that episode. So if you haven't, go listen to that and then come here and we'll get into the nitty gritty of really where I think a good starting place is on this. So now my top five tips. So tip number one is to embrace mistakes. And I'm not saying like forgive yourself for mistakes. I mean like full on celebrate your mistakes because here's here's the thing. Mistakes are data, right? It's information um, both in what we don't want to do, what isn't working, but also in how to improve, which takes us into the point, point number two, which is mistakes are the way that we improve. If we never make mistakes, we never have the data that we need to grow both personally and professionally, like we need to make mistakes in order to know how we want to do something better or different and how we can improve the next time. The other thing is that mistakes are fun. Like it's funny when we mess up. It's funny when things go awry. It's fun to learn new things, to figure new things out. If every day just ran smoothly and we just did everything perfectly, it would be boring. So enjoying the fact that mistakes happen is another way to approach it. And finally, mistakes are not unique to you. As much as you may be special, you are not the only one out here messing up on a daily basis. Maybe the rest of the world isn't talking about it. Maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe for you personally, it feels like you're aware of all the mistakes that you're making, but you only saw one mistake that one person made that one time two years ago. And so you assume they haven't made a mistake since then. When reality, we're all doing it all day, every day, in every little area of our life, you know, no matter how hard we try not to, it's just part of existing, part of being human. You know, my husband and I just recently got a new espresso machine and today I was dialing it in and I made a mistake. I accidentally like ground some coffee that ended caused me to waste coffee. And I was like a little bit bummed about it. And I think I was like, that's embarrassing. And he was like, actually, it was really good for me to see you do that because I keep doing things like this. And I didn't even think that that was happening to you. So it was being really hard on himself when in reality, like, yeah, we just, of course I'm making mistakes while I'm doing this too. Like that's just part of it. But unless we're really paying attention, which most of us aren't looking for other people to make mistakes, we will miss the fact that like we're not alone. Okay, so embrace your mistakes. Number two, question the stories you tell yourself. Who do you think you are, right? Like who is it that you tell yourself you are? What are the negative self stories that you have? Analyze where that story came from and then get honest with yourself about why you're holding on to it. What's the story that you want to be telling and what would make that story true? And potentially there's a chance that that story already is true, but you're just so latched onto the other story that you're afraid to admit it to yourself. Here's an example from my life. So I had a story for a lot of my life that I was a lazy person. I got this from a stepdad that I had who was just plain awful. Um, He, just to be clear, like he was like not a good person, yet he instilled this thing in me and I held on to it for most of my life, even though 
who was he to tell me who I was in the first place, just to be clear. But he would all the time like call me and my brothers lazy. Like he just loved to yell that at us while he was like cracked out. And he would do that. And so I held on to that story. And when I asked myself, like, why am I holding on to this? It's because I'm afraid of it being true. And so as long as I'm afraid of that, I won't ever become it, right? If I continue to say like, oh, don't be lazy, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. Well, then that to me felt like the motor that I needed to do more with my life. But here's the reality. While that person was calling me lazy, I was actually a high school student in AP classes, working a full-time job, playing three different sports, and going to church like four days a week, taking on leadership roles in almost everything that I was doing. That year, I racked up 20 different photos in the yearbook for the clubs that I was a part of. And I'm not, it wasn't an exaggeration. Like I was doing too much for a kid to be doing, plus managing the trauma that he was enlisting on me in my life, plus kind of managing the emotions of my other family members. Like I was doing too much as a kid. So for him to come home and be like, you're lazy while he was just off gallivanting, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, that should invalidate the story, right? If I look at the data, the, 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 him even saying that was inaccurate, but I held on to it for so long because it was so scary to me. The concept of it was so scary to me that I thought if I held on to the story that I would prevent me from it ever becoming true. So when I think about what's the story that I want to be telling, I don't even want to be telling the opposite of lazy to myself. I don't want to be a workaholic. I don't want to be overworking all the time, but holding on to the story of, of being lazy actually created the opposite, which was I have, I regularly struggle with being a workaholic. I actually, when I think about the story I want to be telling it's I believe in the work that I do and I take care of my mind, body, and soul. That's my standard. So when I think about, okay, that's my standard, am I doing that? That's the story I want to hold myself to. And so when I'm afraid of being lazy, I overcompensate with overworking. But if I get really clear on the story that I really want to be holding to, well, I can get honest with myself and say, am I nourishing my mind, body, and soul on a daily basis? And is my work, do I believe in the work that I'm doing? I'm in the clear. Or I can make some small tweaks to better nourish myself and better buy into the causes that I care about. It's that simple, right? So I'm going to ref- I'm going to run through that series of questions for you. What? Who do you think you are? Where did that story come from? Why are you holding on to it? What's the story you want to be telling? And what would make that story true? Okay. Number three is the mindful pause. This is for the moments when you're being hard on yourself and you can't get out of the downward spiral of just feeling inadequate, not feeling good enough, thinking that you are somehow uniquely flawed. This is for that moment. I want you to take an intentional pause and I want you to note something positive that you see here taste, smell, and feel. So I'll do that with you right now. I see the tulips. I hear 
the birds chirping outside. I taste this lipstick on my lips that I absolutely love. I smell a clean, cool office. And I feel the ground beneath my feet supporting me. That takes us out of of panic mode and puts us into an objective place of thinking because we've kind of come back to presence. And then, and only then, take a moment and ask yourself how you would approach this if it was the person you have the most compassion for who's doing it. So whatever it is that you're beating yourself up for, ask yourself if this was the person who I have the most compassion for doing it, how would I feel about it? Now, here's the thing. I specifically say the person that you have the most compassion for because I can't tell you who that is and that can't be assumed. So for maybe for some of you, that's your kid. Like you have infinite compassion for your kid and you always feel like you can empathize with them. For some of you, that might be the person you have the least amount of compassion for. There's no wrong answer to this. Maybe for some of us, having compassion for a stranger is easier. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parent. Whoever you have the most compassion for, that's who I want you to ask that about, okay? And again, only do it after you've brought yourself out of that panic mode into presence, because if you try to do it before then, you're likely to just skip over it or feel frustrated by the exercise. So you really need to take that mindful pause, come back to present moment, and then ask yourself, how would I approach this if it was someone else who was dealing with this? And then give yourself that, okay? All right, number four, take seriously who you are surrounded by and what you consume. This may seem old. This advice is everywhere. I say it to you all the flipping time, but it's important. Who you are around, how they speak to themselves, how they speak to you is going to impact your inner dialogue. It's just the way that it is. We've all experienced being, you know, joining a new group of friends and all of a sudden we like pick up new words that we start to use. We start to mimic them a little bit. Like we do that as people, we mirror the people that we're surrounding ourselves with. And so whatever it is that you're consuming, whoever it is you're spending time with, it is going to impact your internal narrative. And so make sure that it's positive. All right, last one, number five is so fun. It's called releasing statements. This is a practice in positive psychology where we can develop a bridge between negative self-talk and positive self-talk. Positive self-talk is so important. However, when we try to go from a harsh inner dialogue directly to like positive self-talk or grand affirmations, it can feel a bit like we're playing make-believe. It's almost like putting on a dress and makeup to sit at home hoping it will make you feel better, but really you just feel like you're in a dress and makeup sitting at home and you could have just been comfortable the whole time. It's like going from saying to yourself, I'm such an idiot, to... I'm an intelligent being who deserves my respect. It feels unnatural and formulaic. However, you can bridge the gap with releasing statements. Essentially, when you catch yourself in negative self-talk, you can take a moment to offer yourself a release. So an example of this is, I can forgive myself for procrastinating. 
It's okay that I didn't pay that bill on time. I'm still a good mom, even if I forgot to pack lunch today. Everyone makes mistakes. This is actually an easier way to release our hold on negative thoughts. If we jump straight into affirmations, our minds are actually likely to take that opportunity to prove that our deep belief is correct. So if my belief is that I make so many mistakes, then we think to ourselves, I make so many mistakes. And that moves to, I am a dedicated, focused worker who does their job with ease. Your mind may be quick to say, do you work with ease? I call BS on that. What about that time that you made the mistake on this thing or made the mistake on that thing? And then all of a sudden you're just being reminded of every time you've ever made a mistake because you don't even believe the words you're saying, right? So instead you can say, it's okay that I put the wrong date on that file. The world will keep spinning. For me, my favorite phrase for this is that there are no emergencies on social media. No one will die because I didn't post today. No one will die because I didn't get back to that DM in 15 seconds. Everything will be okay. Even if I get a text from my assistant and she's like, Instagram is going crazy. Even if everyone's mad at me, you know, it's never an emergency. No one is ever in true danger. Nothing is ever going to explode because something happened on the internet, in my little pocket of the internet. So that is how we give ourselves grace, we forgive ourselves, and we bridge the gap between negative self-talk and positive self-talk with those releasing statements. And really, it's just about self-forgiveness, right? So that brings me to today's food for thought from the lovely Maya Angelou. Forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. As always, thank you all for being here. It is an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.